2: This past week, Lori Lightfoot was denied a second term as Chicago's mayor, and the title bout for her job will pit a former public administrator against a Cook County commissioner and teachers union official. And on another note, boy, will the city council look different in a couple of months. We have a lot to talk about this weekend and two of the best with whom to speak. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. It's rare that voters would deny a mayor another term leading Chicago. Mayor Michael Bolandick was one of the last ones who suffered that fate. Ironically, it heralded the city's first female mayor, Jane Byrne. Lori Lightfoot is only the second woman to have that job, and she too will be losing it after one term. But we're going to talk about what happened and why and what happens next this weekend. And we very much want to talk about the new day about to dawn on the city council. Joining me for this discussion are political analyst Phil Rogers, the award winning former reporter from NBC Five, and people of a certain age will remember him as one of the best reporters ever here at WBBM News Radio and we have known each other longer than I think we want to admit on the air. Uh, We also have Erin Hegarty, who covers city government for The Daily Line, a respected online news source. And if I often sound like I really know what's going on at City Hall, part of the reason is that Erin sits next to me in the press room and we talk and she really knows what's going on. Uh, Thanks to both of you for doing this. I read a quote attributed to one of the mayor's city council allies suggesting that uh, some election outcomes are from self-inflicted wounds, and that may be uh, in part the case with Lori Lightfoot. Phil rogers, is that is it that simple? I think it is to some
0: extent, but I think that's true of every politician. You know, I, Craig, you mentioned that you and I are what did you say, people of a certain age? <laughs> yeah. by the way, for the for the listeners. I was sitting in the newsroom when the managing editor leaned over to me and said, what do you think of Craig Delamore? We're thinking about hiring him. So (laughs) that's how old I am. (laughs) Um, But um, I'm reminded when I was younger and they used to use as a classic example of a political ad that was done well, John Lindsay. Running for re-election as mayor of New York. And Craig, you may remember this as a New York native. Yeah, yeah it was I was famous there. Famous ad where he looked into the camera and said, We did this and this was good. We did this and that was bad. This was good, that was bad. And he was very frank with his voters and admitted he'd made lots of mistakes. And it's considered a model of a political ad, and it was considered kind of a famous benchmark in the history of advertising for campaigns. Lori Lightfoot didn't do that. Okay. She she was extremely defensive all the way along, and it would have served her well to do it to, to approach this in a very different way. And you know, I'm I'm interested in what Aaron thinks about this, because those of us who knew Lori Lightfoot. And I've known her for a very long time. I think I've known her for about 25 years. The first time I met her, she walked into the NBC 5 newsroom to look at a video of an arson case that we had covered because she was getting ready to indict the arsonist, who it turns out had been a serial arsonist and, in fact, was suspected of killing his wife. Now that's a very long time ago, and and over the years, I knew her as the president of the police board. And Craig, I even told you on election night, one time I was at the do it yourself Messiah at the <laughs> civic opera house and who's sitting next to me, but Lori Lightfoot? So, uh, and by the way, I think she sings really well.
2: I, I would um, expect that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but the, the, the part of this that I leave with, and Aaron, I really want to know what you think about this is, on, and, and Craig, I told you this on election night my biggest takeaway from the Lori Lightfoot administration was a tremendous sense of disappointment. I, when she was elected, I had real high hopes for her. I I really thought this was going to be a different day in Chicago. Now, I remember feeling the same way about Jane Byrne. Um, But it turns out that almost from day one, the headwinds were against her and she didn't cope with them very well. Mm.
2: Erin, let, let's talk about that. What you you haven't known her as long as we have. Um, you but you have seen her rise and you know, apparent fall.
3: Yeah, I so I started, you know, covering city council and, and the mayor in October 2020. And I think my kind of stark observation is watching her supporters in the city council and the people who she picked. To lead, you know, these powerful city council committees slowly kind of move away from supporting her, or even say things during city council meetings that you wouldn't expect someone who the mayor picked to, you know, be in a powerful position to say during a public meeting, um, and that I think was slowly happening, um, you know, over the past two years, but it kind of really ramped up, I'd say, in the past year or six months as this. Um, election and campaign has played out and i think they've had you know all there's only there's 50 aldermen there's a lot more voters in the city of chicago um but i think her relationship with them um splintered quickly um over the past year and it's hard to like work with your boss and that not your boss but to work with the person who oversees um the city council meetings it's hard to hard to work with them if they're um like the mayor and and not you know having your back when when they should.
2: And I you know what I what I am struck by is that the people who supported the mayor in some ways were doing it against headwinds of their own because this is a mayor who on inauguration day turned around to the city council pointed a finger at them and said you know there's been too much corruption there's been too much of the, you know, aldermanic privilege, uh, doing whatever you want. And those days are over, which means that the people who supported her had to do it in the face of other people who were saying, this woman's trying to take our power away. And so for those people to then find sometimes that she was going to call them out on things, um, You know, uh, Susan Sedlowski Garza, who was one of her most stalwart supporters, you you know, made headlines when she went on a radio program and said, I don't know how she can turn against people who, you know, have been on her side for so long and how she manages to anger them. Um, But I, you know, I don't think that was the only thing that, you know, it's not just her personality. I, I mean, I think she did have a lot of really bad things happening. And I think anybody faced with the crime issues that she had to deal with probably would have faced, you know, similar anger from, and and we're going to talk about crime a little bit more, but I wonder if that's not also something that, you know, every mayor wishes they could do something to wave a magic wand, but I'm not sure any can.
0: Well, and, and, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because so much of politics is optics and you know, okay, I think a lot of people thought aldermanic privilege was was hogwash and and it was all it was long overdue to be reformed. But you don't turn around on the rostrum at your inauguration and stick your thumb in the eye of the alderman. Uh, you 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 do this in a different way, you know um and and Mayor Lightfoot had an optics problem all along. And I, I will tell you another story, and it's a story I've never told anybody uh, um, publicly. And that is, she had not been in office very long. And Craig, you may know who I'm getting ready to talk about. I'm not going to mention him by name. But one of the one of the holdover PR people in an agency uh, in, in city government, she threw him out. And he was a very well-respected press person, okay? And he was one of these people that did his job well. We trusted him. We knew he was a professional. And we were like, oh, my God, she got rid of him? I mean... He's one of the yeah. good guys. And when I spoke to him afterward, he was guilty of doing nothing but giving her a piece of advice because she was getting ready to stick her foot in the bucket on a, on a political problem where she was getting ready to do something that was clearly political. And then it was going to be on the taxpayers' dime. And he, was, and he basically said to her, you can't do that, Mayor, but, but here's what you can do instead, and it'll be okay. If you do it this way, she was getting ready to go, I think, on a trip to New York and the taxpayers were going to pick it up. and it was a political trip. So I wrote her a letter. I wrote her a personal letter. And I and I basically said, Mayor, I've known this gentleman for years. You just fired him. I can't believe you did that. But if you had a good reason for doing so, I'd love to know. And you and I have known each other for years. I didn't even get a reply. I mean, I didn't get an auto pin letter. I got nothing. It was, I mean, it was like she couldn't be bothered with this. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that because I'm offended personally. I don't care. But it was just kind of another example of bad optics. And and she had a series of those kinds of gaffes very early in her administration.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I will tell you, The people in the press and don't forget uh, now I'm sitting in an almost empty, uh, in fact, well, but for me, it's empty press room. But at times it was filled. And the people in this press room all asked about that same person. And she responded and basically said, I know he's your buddy. But, you know, this is this was my decision and And she seemed to resent that she seemed to think the only reason we were speaking up for him was that he was our buddy yeah and, not
0: the not not the fact that we knew he did his job well and that yeah. he was professional he was he was a he was in a bureaucracy and not performing as a politician
2: yeah, and she probably thought that he was leaking uh information, which those of us who knew him here was the way he would operate. You would ask him a question and he would he would tell you what he could tell you, and then he would say. I can't tell you any more about this.
3: (laughs) And
2: that was it. And that was the end of the conversation. And we knew that. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, Because uh, Phil, Phil, we knew something like this could happen while we were on the air on election night. Uh, But what we have now is a race between the mayoral candidate who was the furthest to the right, Paul Vallis, and arguably the one who was the furthest to the left, Brandon Johnson. And that seems to say something about the people who went to the polls, doesn't it?
0: It absolutely does. And before I answer that, I I think I want to, I want to now, I want to reverse tea leaf something. Sure. <laughs> Erin, sure. did this election turn out the way you thought it would?
3: Okay. So if you would have asked me that question a week before the election, no, it did not turn out how I thought it would. By Monday, Tuesday, election day, I was, you know, in my little, I don't know, you know, conversations whatever just thinking of what could happen by monday i was thinking it would be Vallis and johnson um making the runoff um the, the thing that surprised me though was um how quickly mayor lightfoot conceded um on tuesday night um that was surprising to me um just from like you know covering working um in the same room as her for, for a while. I was surprised that she conceded so early, but, um, but yeah, a week out from the election, if you told me it was going to be Ballas and Johnson, I probably would have said, I don't, I don't think that's what it's going to be. I, you know, Ballas was expected to be the, the top vote getter. That didn't change for me. Um, but I, I expected the mayor or, or maybe Chuy Garcia to, um, come in second, not necessarily Brandon Johnson.
0: You know, I did too. And and part of that was just because of the balkanized nature of, of the entire ticket, I mean, ballot. Um, and I thought there were just so many candidates. The power of the inc- incumbency just naturally pulls that person a certain percentage of votes from people that just walk in and push the button. And that's the extent to which Mayor Lightfoot was repudiated. And, and I found that kind of shocking.
2: Yeah, I think that's the crime issue, though. Uh, you know, everybody that I've talked to s- since, and even before—I mean, I, you know, friends, even whether they lived in Chicago or not—kept saying, "But people are scared." And frankly, we talked to some people who lived downtown who were scared, and that I think that drove for people who might have given her the benefit of the doubt on on the uh, uh, you know on the incumbency. It was this doesn't feel like it used to feel. People downtown weren't used to seeing the kind of crime people downtown were seeing. And that's something you and I talked about and then you pointed out uh, on the air that they're not used to seeing stabbings in their neighborhood. And admittedly, there's a certain racial component to that, but it's still there.
0: Oh, a- absolutely. And I think we should disclaim that right off the top. I mean, yeah. this, this philosophy in years past, which was, well, Chicago, yeah, it's got crime but not downtown. I mean, yeah. there's clearly a racial component in that, that that is just, I mean, every neighborhood deserves to be safe. Chicago was able always to tell conventioners and and people like this, uh, you know, tourists, keep coming to Chicago. You know, don't worry. We're not we're not other other places and and look, we yeah, even would the is a myth. <laughs> Yeah, we would, we would always hear this term You know, Chicago, when things started going bad, people said Chicago's in danger of becoming Detroit. Now, I know I know what that means, and it doesn't mean what 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 a lot of people think it means. What it means is once you go over the precipice, it's real hard to come back, as Detroit has found out for the last 50 years. Okay, and Chicago was always able to boast that it had this almost airtight downtown. Everything was fine, you know. Uh, the Chicago Tourism Bureau was able to boast about that as well. The hotels were full. Everybody was happy. Then, then what happened? The pandemic happened, okay? And that in and of itself shut down everything downtown. But also then, of course, the, the civil disturbances in the aftermath of George Floyd. And, you know, suddenly people were looking at, a, at boarded up store windows on Michigan Avenue, and they didn't like the looks of that. What is What are we talking about again? Bad optics, and Mayor Lightfoot inherited that. Okay, and I think she was a victim of that, and that was a problem.
2: You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. We're talking about the Chicago elections just completed and the ones coming up with former NBC Five reporter and our analyst Phil Rogers and Aaron Hegarty, who covers city government for the Daily Line. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's look ahead, uh, both Aaron and Phil. If we've got candidates on the left and the right and at the polar opposites, what happens and what do we think is going to happen to the moderate voters? Where do they go? <laughs> I,
3: yeah, I think, I don't know, the, the April 4th for a little while seemed so far away, but now it seems so close. And I'm sure both you know, the Vallis and the Johnson campaign are scrambling to try and figure out how do we get these voters who, you know, didn't already jump on board with us and how do we convince them that, you know, they voted for, you know, Lightfoot they voted for Julie Garcia, how do we convince them that we can give them what they saw in those candidates? I don't I don't know. It's um, you know, yesterday we saw Jesse White endorsing uh Paul Vallis and I I don't know how much most endorsements mean, but that was a a strong um endorsement i think so i don't know is it is it just going to be a race um between now and april 4th to kind of divide all of these prominent voices and trusted elected officials in in the city um i don't know more uh, there are a lot of people who have kind of charted out the path to victory for both um ballas and johnson but i don't know it's going to be a long short month
0: somehow <laughs> a long
2: short month yeah, yeah. I agree and, and, and by the so way yeah do you think that uh phil do you think that uh the jesse white endorsement um most i think don't most endorsements don't mean all that much it seems to me that jesse white is a big get for for Vallis because mm-hmm. he is that 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 person right in the middle that embodies you know the center what do you say
0: i think so exactly and, and I, I agree when what what aaron just said when when i saw that happen i thought this is significant that this happened uh, more so than most most endorsements don't mean anything okay look paul Vallis, and, and i i want to caution everyone then I i I'm known for being wrong. Okay. I mean, I <laughs> no. so I I I don't want to,
2: to say don't that don't believe the, in that, listeners. Do not believe
0: in I'm <laughs> not going to take, I'm not gonna I'm not, don't don't invest in what I'm about to say. Okay. I believe right now the moderate voter looks at Paul Vallis and says, I'm more comfortable with that guy. And and here's why. Who's your moderate voter? Your moderate, which I think makes up. The the big chunk of the middle here is is the person who does believe in racial equality, who was horrified by George Floyd, who was maybe out there in some of those those marches. Okay, they're walking, but they don't like crime either. Okay, and and they don't like the sound of terms like defund the police and and all of this. And they see in Vallis a guy that maybe is a like minded person. And remember one thing, and this is super important as we talk about this, Chicago is a city of big companies and a city of thriving tourism, which I I just alluded to a second ago. And it wants to keep all of that intact. And it worries about image issues and things like that. And the civic leaders of this city feel this way and the business community of this city feels that way. Chicago is not Portland. And, and so as a result, that's the, the center. Those people, that mass is what I think is going to gravitate toward Vallis. And I think that there's a lot of energy and a lot of inertia that goes along with that.
2: I want to turn to the city council. And I should tell you where I sit. I have a chart of the seating of the city council. And I'm just looking at the first row on the city council, 14. Alderman are in the first row of who's not going to be there after the inauguration: Ed Burke, George Cardenas, Patrick Daly Thompson, Susan Sadlowski Garza, uh, Roderick Sawyer, Sophia King, Leslie Hairston. Uh, that's it. That's it. Of the ones we're sure, there, there could be one other because he's in a runoff. That's huge. <laughs> Aaron Haggerty. Uh, votes on the city council races seem to be good for incumbents, at least the ones who are going to stick around. But uh, talk about that. This is this is a really new day, and we had a really big new day the last time.
3: Yeah, it's a new day, and I'm frankly kind of excited. I'm I'm excited to you know see new faces in in <laughs> City Hall, but it does you know all those names that you mentioned. That's just the first row, and while you know George Cardinus and Patrick Daly Thompson have been out um, since last year. Um, I I was looking particularly at the 14th ward race. That's where Ed Burke is leaving um, after, you know, more than five decades. So more than like almost two of my lifetimes, um leaving for the first time. And you have um J. Lou Gutierrez who who got 65% of the vote, and Raul Reyes, who had 35%. But in that race, you only had. 4,500 people casting a ballot. That was the second lowest um, votes cast in a ward, which was really interesting to me. So um, I don't know. Uh, the Ed Burke exit is definitely something that's notable, but um, I I really want to see how things play out in the fifth ward, which is as you mentioned where Leslie Hairston. Um, is retiring. That's going to a runoff also just uh, north of there, the fourth ward, um, where Aldorman Sophia King left to run for mayor. Now it's, you know, her um, chief of staff, Prentice Butler, who is facing Lamont Robinson, who's a state rep, um, in a runoff. And um, I don't yeah, know, those are really leading, important.
2: Is he not? He, yeah, he was leading. He was the, yeah.
3: Yeah, he Lamont Robinson is is ahead by quite a bit. He's he's the clear front runner, I'd say. But um, yeah, it, the just those voices uh, in City Hall not having Leslie Hairston is going to be something. She um, is not quiet. She's been a member of you know the City Council for for a while, and in that ward, you have um, Desmond Yancey who has. He was a big uh, proponent, supporter of the new um, citywide civilian police oversight um, commission. He helped get that passed. And Tina Hone, who was the city's or the mayor's, you know, chief engagement officer. Um, so you will have a lot of new faces. Um, but but like you said, it was it was a good time to be an incumbent because, by my count this morning. So take this with. A couple grains of salt. I think it was 31 incumbents winning outright, um, including nine incumbents who weren't facing a challenger. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see like what new ideas um, these new aldermen bring, or if there are any new ideas depending on how the 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 runoffs pan out. Do you believe
0: it's possible that the bad turnout in in 14 was because Ed Burke's power base was remapped into 23?
3: That could that could be it. I mean, you know, this is a new it's a new 14th ward. And that's kind of Yeah, did did his did his power, you know, was that what affected turnout in his in his ward previously? I'm sure it is. I mean, um yeah, and, and you, you know, speak to could, that. Like,
0: <laughs> we talked about this also. This this will be the the beginning of an Ed Burkeless City Council. And Chicago hasn't known that since the 1970s. And I think people don't realize, aside from his, his, his power in the city council, Ed Burke wielded so much power in the city of Chicago and Cook County, you could not run for judge in Cook County unless you went and kissed the ring of Ed Burke and got his blessing. Now, some people managed to run anyway and get elected, but not many and so, I mean, that's the extent of Burke's influence. I mean, it goes far beyond city hall. It goes all the way to the courtrooms at the Daily Center and 26th and in California. So I, I think when, you know, we you cannot overstate the importance of the departure of Ed Burke. And his
3: departure was so like, I don't know, it it happened so quietly. We were all waiting for it. We were all sitting on the floor of the um, you know board of elections uh, site where candidates go to turn in their uh, petition signatures and basically there was no announcement. It was just, has Ed Burke turned in his his nominating petitions to run again? No, the time has ended. Here we are.
0: Yeah, it, it, what, what do they always say? It ended with a whimper. And, you know, I I, I look, Aaron is you know you you mentioned how many of your lifetimes I. I I go back to when of uh, the infamous Council Wars period with with Harold Washington. Everybody talks about Verdoliak during that. The Verdoliak Twenty Nine. Verdoliak's hatchet man was Ed Burke, and, and and I mean, let's not forget that that he he was his his, his guy that kind of did a lot of the bidding. So I mean, look, Burke was a smart man. He was what he, he fancied himself, the historian of the city council. He wrote an acclaimed book about Chicago police officers who fell in the line of duty, a book that needed to be written. And it was a good one. Okay. Uh, but there's a, there you know, when we, we talk about the departure of two people in Chicago right now, Ed Burke and Michael Madigan, boy, there's a lot of symmetry there. And the, but the power of those two people alone suddenly evaporating in Chicago makes this a very different city. Yeah,
2: and we are going to have to uh, to to think about that. And we will be talking about that because we are j- almost out of time. Uh, and I think there, the topics that we didn't get to talk to that we probably will, uh, you know, in, in a few weeks are the issues of race in general and other topics in this whole campaign. We haven't talked about things like education or, you know, or economic development. It's all been about crime. So that's probably going to change within the next four or five weeks. Anyway, I would like to thank Aaron Hegarty of The Daily Line and Phil Rogers, formerly of NBC5, for spending this time with us. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. T-Mobile has
0: invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.